So what I'm, what I'm thinking I'm going to be talking about tonight is the, the simplicity and honesty of mindfulness, of awareness. We'll see if that's what I actually talk about, if that's my idea. But I just, first I have to acknowledge these poor flowers. <laughs> I keep looking, I feel like, like a real like, kind of identification, you know. <laughs> sometimes we're feeling really upright, filled with the beauty and joy of practice, and sometimes we're just, you know, <laughs> flopping around, but doing our best. They're trying, they're kind of trying to curve up again, you know. <laughs> they're not giving up, and I just, uh, I kind of love them. <laughs> so... Last night, you, you may not remember, Steve mentioned in passing the first of the three jobs of the meditator of the yogi, which is one of Sadhu Tejaniya's uh, kind of fun little lines, the first job being right view. The second and third jobs of a meditator, of a yogi, so simple, is mindfulness, awareness, second job, the simplicity of awareness, third job, the perseverance, the continuity, the willingness to be steady. So simple. Our job isn't to figure everything out. Our job isn't to explain everything. Our job isn't to have our experience move in a certain direction. Our job, you may not be happy to hear this, isn't to feel good. Or you might be happy to hear it because you probably don't feel so great. (laughs) So you're going fine. You're here with some awareness with the intention to remember to be aware when you forget. That's our job. The rest takes care of itself. Okay, that's it. Simplicity of... (laughs) So, I just want to talk a minute about just the simplicity of mindfulness itself. We've, We've been saying how awareness, that sense of just recognizing what's occurring, doesn't take a lot of energy doesn't take a lot of effort. When I gave that example the first morning about seeing, and then, oh, seeing is occurring. You can say, oh, it's not such a big deal. Very available. The only trick is remembering, not stressful or exhausting. So in that way, mindfulness, awareness is simple. Another way, though, I want to... um, describe the quality I'm calling simple simplicity and honesty, is that in a moment of awareness, mindful presence, I'm, I'm using different ways to kind of describe the feeling, the sense. These are not abidomically correct necessarily. But the, the simplicity of a moment of mindful presence is that... Uh, Mindfulness, or mindfulness with the right view, as Steve was talking about, is this quality of the attention, the, uh, the whole psyche in that moment is really present with just the experience that's happening just as it is without adding anything extra. Just simple, without preconception, without assumption without judging, without liking or disliking, just kind of open for discovery. I think of it as um, friendly interest in whatever's arising. Sounds nice. So your knee is killing you. Awareness would be friendly interest in the sensation. Is it burning? Is it tingling? How 
how quickly does this simplicity of sensation move to, oh my God, you know, and it's only day two. Oh my God, or how, how you wake up and you're in the emergency room. I mean, you're not really in the emergency room, you're here. But you wake up from imagining you're in the emergency room. What's actually occurring, the simplicity of mindfulness would be, oh, you notice those thoughts. The thoughts aren't the problem. When we recognize thinking is occurring, great, that's the simplicity of mindfulness again. Oh, this is thinking. But the complications from sensation, not really noticing how we get into that whole story, I'm in the emergency room, And in general, not only this moment, but this whole retreat is unbearable. Not only this retreat, my life. And anything I can see from this moment, and, you know, you get a sense of what I'm meaning? The simplicity, the honesty of mindfulness is just, what's happening now? Just meeting each moment with this kind of freshness, aliveness of just just what's happening now without preconception. It's so refreshing in the moments it happens, but we can't say, I'm now going to be free from preconception. You know, it doesn't work. It's such a habit. But learning to, to recognize, to kind of feel, to taste what this simplicity feels like, how to bring this this friendly interest, and how to notice when it's not like that, when the complications are coming in. A couple of examples. One way, I just noticed this in my own experience, uh, I think yesterday afternoon, how it doesn't have to be a big suffering experience or a big joyful experience, but the, um, something that seems to be staying the same, something that we assume we're familiar with, this quality of simple, honest freshness of attention often gets kind of blurred away, you know, we kind of, we think we know, so we don't really pay attention. And we kind of know it's happening, we could say we're mindful, but it isn't really. It's a simple example um, of how the familiar, we stop paying attention. Simple example, um, the cottage I live in down the road, when I moved into it, it had just been built, so it was over 20 years ago. So I moved in, it's brand new, everything's brand new, the paint's brand new, the floors are really, everything's like perfect, you know. So one whole Dhamma talk, which isn't this one, is how quickly it stopped being perfect. This, this in the way I'm using the example, this way is the opposite, is how I stop noticing. I keep thinking of it, oh, this, is, this house is brand new, and the paint is perfect, and the floors are really good, and I'll come in and I'll see all these stains and stuff on the floor, and I go, well, what's that doing there? It's so new. It's so fresh. Because I'm not looking. I'm not looking. I'm just assuming it's the way it's always been. And meanwhile, it's had 20 plus years of deterioration. Does that sound familiar to anything like in our bodies, in our habits? In our you just don't look in the mirror. Hey, I'm the same as I was at 25. How come? You know, this, this and that doesn't work. So just bringing in this freshness, meeting something new each time. This sense of habit, of kind of dulling out. This is one very common habit of mind that um, kind of uh, distorts, is in the way, blocks. This simplicity of mindfulness, this freshness, which is kind of just meeting each moment is fresh. 
Each moment is new, and that's the truth. Next moment, anything can happen. Each breath is a new breath. You can never have the same breath twice. Each moment of that twinging pain in the knee, it's really different each time. Or the reaction in the mind is different. It, no two moments are ever exactly the same. So when we start to just, but we don't have to think about the next moment. It's just this, this sense of, mm, I'll call it a, a moment of really complete commitment to presence with this moment's experience. That's one way I think of mindful awareness. Not, I'll be present if this moment's okay. Like stick a toe in the water. Is this an okay experience to be mindful of? No, it's just here. Someone in a group today used the expression I loved it of, you know, realized they've been kind of fighting with experience a bit. It was an unpleasant experience. That's what we usually fight with. And then recognizing just, now this is my language, just be there for it. Quit fighting. And in that moment of what I'm calling just complete commitment to presence with this experience, the, the expression she used with really seeing, appreciating the richness of the moment the richness of what's going on, which is only available to us when we're totally present. Just for one moment, just for one moment, the simplicity of mindfulness, of awareness, the honesty of it, just being with things as they are, not as we think they ought to be or should be or were yesterday or whatever. Now, I'm not saying this is easy, and it's, it's not that we can do it with an act of will because the habits of our mind, our emotional habits, our personality, our psyche, as Steve was mentioning it last night, they're pretty deeply ingrained. That's why they're habits. And they're comfortable. Um, but we can learn to see those habits themselves with mindfulness. Oh, but first I want to give another example that... I remember this particular example when I'm thinking about this freshness, this quality of fresh interest without preconceptions. It's an example I frequently use of a, of a um, documentary I saw on TV in Germany years and years ago about Yo-Yo Ma. You know, the, the, he's really world-famous classical cellist, very interesting guy. So just to cut it short, he was... Um, he's really interested in music from all cultures all over the world. So in this, this um, documentary, he flew in a helicopter into uh, meeting the head music man in a very small tribe somewhere in Africa. I didn't get what country. He flew in in a helicopter. It was a very, uh, so he was meeting this, this head musician of this particular tribe. And the guy came out really old man, you know, and he came out with his instrument, which was literally a big, uh, a big round, uh, like oil can, like a big round metal can that he'd taken off the top and the bottom. So it's a round cylinder with a, uh, a big wooden stick pole, kind of, you know, like if you were holding a cello, that would be the handle. And then, you know, with some frets and then some wires coming out to make the strings. So that was his instrument which he would play with his fingers and sing. And Yo-Yo Ma gets out of his helicopter with his literally million-dollar cello. Or maybe it's only a second-string cello. I don't know how much. But anyway, he gets out with it. And so 
you know, he's, he's listening to this head man play and sing, just totally present, you know, not comparing it to how classical Bach should sound or anything, just really listening. Then he plays his cello for the guy, then the guy plays again, and then yo Ma saying, wow. And then he tried the guy's thing. He goes, I can't do this nearly as well as you can do it. I just can't do it. Because he could, he could right away get into appreciating the different background, the different culture, the different form of music, and the skill it took, you know? What freshness of mind and seeing does that take? You know, not to say, well, that's good as far as it goes, but listen to me play Mozart, you know? And in fact, he said, you take my cello, you, you try to play the cello, I want to try and learn how to do this better, your one. I just love it. That image has stayed with me for years and years and years. And whenever I'm noticing that I'm feeling really just dulled out or assuming something should be, I just think of Yo-Yo Ma and think, oh yeah, that freshness, that childlike innocence, that interest free from preconception. So what we're cultivating here, moment to moment to moment, is just remembering, recognizing getting a feel for this, learning to trust it, seeing how it works. And in a way, this quality of, of interested, interested attention, Sharon Salzberg has a line I like, which is, to pay attention is to love. You could say that in a way. This, this commitment to simply be fully present in this moment, what that woman called like richness of, ex, of the moment. It's a way of loving, a way of opening completely to just what is. Why is this so difficult, you may ask? Or maybe you already know, in which case I could stop now, but I'll remind us. The habits, so deeply ingrained. And you know how the Buddha described it, but first just to say about the habits of mind in general, you know, it becomes, I think Steve was saying it in different language, kind of a default mode in times of stress, in times of hurry, when we're not really aware. The, the places that our mind, our personality, our reactions tend to do under stress, they, they feel more at ease, more comfortable. They don't seem to take as much mental energy, you know. Tara Bennett Goldman, in her latest book, was writing about kind of the default modes, the the habits of our minds, of our reactions. And these response habits, she said, they take less mental energy because they they can operate like a little bit under our conscious level. And she gives the example, which I liked, of if if you drive, probably most of us here drive, maybe not everyone, but if you drive, when you're driving on the highway and changing lanes, that's really become so automatic that there's actually quite a lot that goes on, isn't there, that you're doing to change lanes at 60 miles an hour with a lot of cars around you on the freeway. But it's so um, habitual that for many of us, we just can do that almost below the level of consciousness. All these many actions are taking place, right? You know, even deciding why and what's the intention in the mind and what, what particular sense experiences give rise to wanting to change lanes and then, you know, checking the front and the rear and the turning and all of that. Moving the body, calibrating the speed, having your uh, attention, you know, kind of global all around in all directions and when to come back again. There's a heck of a lot going on in that. But we can do that 
there's consciousness, but we're not necessarily aware. It can kind of, kind of be below the surface of awareness, quite natural. It's comfortable. It's a habit of mind. And so we don't necessarily clearly recognize, this is Tara again, or understand all that's going on or what's happening in that process. So when it's a, a confused or suffering habit of mind, it's that same thing. We don't quite know what's going on and we end up in this kind of fog of bewilderment, of confusion, of how come everything's so off? How come I'm suffering? How come I can't quite seem to get in alignment with experience? Or how come I'm in this place of fear again? Or whatever. But mindfulness, sati, awareness, of the moment to moment, and this is why the continuity The perseverance is so important. The moment-to-moment of just what's occurring actually brings these workings of the mind into awareness. As Steve was saying again, and this becomes the next object of awareness, and we start to see what's going on. So just like in changing lines on on the freeway, if you more globally, you'd be becoming aware of the process rather than talking to someone else or listening to music or trying to text or all the scary things people do when they're driving. Um, and you're just noticing, you know, the movement of the arms, the checking the mirror, the, the aversion to the slow person, the wanting to shift. You can just kind of gently, gently be aware of that whole process. Just brings it into the light. And that really gives us the space to respond in a different way from wisdom. Before, it's just kind of unautomatic. So, kind of the, the way the Buddha describes, if you want to get to maybe the root level, the subtle level of where we get and how easily we get so quickly away from the simplicity of mindful awareness in any particular moment. He starts with describing... Our experience, our, our experience, he says, basically, all we're experiencing is rapidly rotating moments of six sense experiences, right? So they're seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, physical experience. And then the whole mental world, which can be thinking, it can be emotions, mental states, ideas, all of that, the mental world. And these they arise in different ways. So one physical sensation might be pleasant, one might be unpleasant, one mental experience might be thinking, another one might be happiness, another one might just be simple calm. But the processes are just these six things happening over and over and over and over. And we often say, if you find a seventh, let us know. We'd be very interested. And then as the Buddha goes on to describe the experience, and I'm really kind of, you know, Uh, not simplifying, but just picking out the salient points for the discussion right now. As it happened, each of those experiences, when it comes, the the mind experiences, you know, we're very much in the habit of, we experience it as pleasant or unpleasant or neither one, but that's quick and subtle. That's not something that's inherent in the experience, like the sound, if I ring that bell. In one moment, you might experience it as kind of pleasant, In another moment, you're distracted and you don't really, it's just kind of neutral. Another moment, you know, you were quiet and it kind of shocked you and you hear it as unpleasant. So it's not intrinsic to that particular sound, but it's kind of how it comes together in our awareness, in our consciousness at that moment. 
So, but that's very quick and subtle, and that's just how things happen, no big deal. But, but what we spend our life practicing is something comes up, and I don't like that. Or it comes up, yeah, that's nice, I like it. Or it's not really worth paying attention to, it's neutral. Okay, we don't go that far as to say that about everything, but on a really kind of subtle level, we're practicing this really quite a lot throughout the day, throughout our life. I mean, Utejaniya says, you know, we spend our whole life, all these sense experiences are happening, we're spending our whole life practicing. Liking, not liking, it's good. And then that immediately goes to it's good, it's pleasant, it's nice, I like it, I want more, it's good. It's not pleasant, I don't like it, it feels bad, it hurts. Of course it's bad. Neutral, huh? What? I better send another text message. Um, this is, becomes a habit, right, of our mind. We practice it enough, it becomes a habit. And that overlay, so that's already an overlay. Pleasant goes to good, I like it, and then it comes to be, what does it mean about me? Or unpleasant, bad, this shouldn't be happening. How can I fix it? How can I get rid of that other thing? It kind of comes to describe and define ourselves and our life. It kind of reinforces the sense of all unpleasant experience is bad to be avoided. Pleasant is what we're here to get more of. We pretend we don't notice this is what's happening. It sneaks up. Just, I'm sure many of you are aware of this. I keep being surprised how it sneaks up in the back of my mind, even when I know that isn't true. That I'll be all in the struggle in the city and go, oh, it was pleasant and now it's not. And I'm all like, what's wrong? As if it is going to stay one way when nothing stays the same for longer than that. But we keep not noticing it. It reinforces this view, you know, and it comes to then be, what does it mean about me? How much of what you've been through today, when you've been discontent with whatever, yourself, your experience with us, with here, the food, your whatever you're dissatisfied with, how much of that comes about as a response to something that isn't the way we want it to be? And instead of saying, oh yeah, this isn't the way I want it to be. This is unpleasant. I don't like it. That's actually, that's mindfulness. That's the simplicity of awareness. This is unpleasant and I'm feeling hatred. (laughs) I hate this Zafu. It is so hard. How come I can't have one of those Zafu? Oh yeah, what's happening now? Physical unpleasant experience, aversion in the mind, thoughts are arising. You're seeing the whole pattern. That's mindfulness. We think, no, that's not mindfulness. Mindfulness means I'm sitting here and things are arising in the space of awareness. And there's not reactivity in the mind because I'm clear, I'm mindful. Oh yes, that's unpleasant, but it doesn't bother me. That's what we think, you know? It's like, so this is so deeply ingrained and it gets unexamined often, that it really comes to be the underlying way we're defining, describing ourselves and life. And so, really look at you, and this is again, I'm, I'm talking from how the Buddha talks and from my own experience. Hopefully it can 
trigger, look and see. Use it as something to explore in your own experience. Not say, yes, right or wrong, or yes, it's true, and then whatever. Just to look and see, because real wisdom comes from the steady awareness that lets us see how these things are working, not from believing if something's so or not. But what gets, it's it's really poignant, because what gets, I feel, because what gets, the Buddha says, what gets so ingrained in us is that this habit of something discomfort, uncomfortable comes up. It doesn't have to be excruciating pain. Look and see. It can be like the littlest uncomfortable thought that comes or a mood. It doesn't have to be the the deepest trauma we've had. It, It might be, but it can be just a little bit of discomfort that we don't even really notice because the Buddha says, so fast is our tendency. He says the unawakened ordinary person when faced, when confronted with an unpleasant experience, which could just be the littlest twinge, knows of no other escape from unpleasant than to lust after, to chase after a a sensed pleasant experience, sensory pleasure. I find that, he says, then this becomes a habit that underlies the mind, the heart. It becomes a habit. It's so poignant. So something, and I've seen this in myself 10 million times. It's natural. It's normal. We've practiced it a lot. Something unpleasant comes. It may be noticed. It may not be noticed. If it's not noticed, we're off to something pleasant. And if you're sitting here, see here, you can get up and walk out. So we're hoping you notice. You're walking out, not because, oh, yes, it's time to walk out. Maybe it is, but it's oh, I had this bad thought, I didn't like it, I, I better go have some tea, you know. You can start to notice how that works. Or, if you did notice the unpleasant, the whole story about this is bad, this is wrong comes up, I better go get something pleasant. Of course, we don't say it like that, because that's the good thing. And so that becomes a habit that underlies our mind, he says, the Buddha. And I find that so really touching that uh, an he says, an ordinary person without the practice, without the understanding of this and simplicity of mindfulness and the willingness, as Charlie Joko Beck says, can I find myself a willingness just to rest for a moment in this unpleasant, uncomfortable situation? Just so simple, can I find myself a willingness just to rest here? Not to fix it, not to make something better, not to, you know, uh, torment yourself either but just to have the chance to see clearly, free from preconception, free from, oh, this is bad, this is wrong, I can't, this is, I'm bad. No, just what's occurring now. This is where we learn how these habits work, by the willingness to be there and see them. This sense of, this thirst, this yearning, this, for the, the, pleasant, the better experience, you know, to move away from the difficult, whatever the difficult, the unpleasant, the conflicted experience is. This is really one of the ways that the sense of samsara is defined, you know, this endless round of leaning forward to the next thing to make it better, to make it better, to make it better. Even when it's good now, right? I think, like Steve said last night, you know, you have the best meal of your life, but how long? I'm making, how long can you keep eating? You've got to stop sometime. 
You know, you eat the best meal of your life and you keep on going until you're really sick and you never want to see that item of food again. It doesn't work like that. That never stays perfect. So this yearning for the next, for the next, for the next. This is really samsara. This is what keeps us in this cycle. There's a Tibetan saying, definition of samsara as the urge to correct. It's pretty good now but it could be a little bit better. Or it really stinks now, it could definitely be better. But even when it's good, it could be a little bit better. Always leaning into the next thing. And this is that unconscious, not quite aware, that, not finding the, the peace of that total presence with this moment right now, whatever it is. That's the freedom, the peace the Buddha's talking about. But when we think of freedom, the freedom of, from suffering, it's kind of really, look and see if this is just, don't you really think of it as freedom from unwanted experience? When you think about, and you come on a retreat, I really want to, you know, to purify my mind and body. I really want to be, all of this is true. Cultivate compassion. I really want freedom. Does your bad back figure in to your image of freedom? The sciatica going to still be here? You're still going to have those annoying relatives acting in that way? But it won't bother me because I'm floating on a cloud, you know. Are you going to have a new personality? Good luck with that one. You know, but it's really understanding in a different way. And the support, the kind of the, the key, the What allows this understanding to grow is the steadiness of the simplicity of mindfulness, awareness, the willingness to just rest at ease in this uncomfortable situation or in this beautiful situation, incredibly wonderful experience. Can mindfulness just meet it as it is without that, yes, now it's going to be like this forever. Just like this. Like this. But when we're kind of in that poignant place of the only thing, the habit of mind to jump away, to make it a little better, a little better, the next, the next, the next. If you notice how that, what I notice uh, other effects that has is it keeps, it keeps my, my, the habit of my mind to be focused on that one object, on the object itself. As you know, Steve was going on about object and awareness, object and awareness. Well, we're focused on the object. It's bad, it's wrong, i got to fix it. Um, you know, and then that becomes how we are defining ourselves, what it means about ourselves. This is all messed up. Really or it's wonderful. Wow, I'm finally getting it. I'm doing great. But we're all focused on the object. The attention, the field of awareness is really quite narrow. And then we're like tossed around by circumstances, by our moods, by our reactions. We get entranced by our reactions to the particular experience. So that's the next thing we can be aware of, the reactions. That's the habit. But when we're not, then again that defines us. And really, it's exhausting. I don't know if you notice, it's exhausting. Example, really, how we're so tossed around from moment to moment. This is how I'm reading experience of someone else, okay, an example. And during, at the end of the Super Bowl this year, I know we're in New England, so probably quite a few of you are aware of the Super Bowl, which I'm not a football fan. Football's not my thing. 
but it doesn't matter where I am. I happen to be in California. Someone's always watching the Super Bowl. So anyway, I heard that the last minute was really amazing. You know, I'm not don't even going to try to go through the whole thing. But the, the, the last 20 seconds, and if I get some of these details wrong, football fans, forgive me. That's not my point, isn't the football, okay? <laughs> but anyway, so it's the last 20 seconds. New England, the quarterback, you know, Tom Brady, is sitting on the side because the Seattle had the ball on the goal line, right? So there's like 20 seconds left. New England was ahead, but basically Seattle, it was like a sure, it was a sure touchdown, right? They're right there. There's, they're bound to get a touchdown and they're going to win because there's no more time. So my friend Guy had, had recorded it, so I went back and watched this last to see. So that's happening. And then the camera cuts away to Tom Brady sitting on the sidelines as the other guy's about to get a touchdown. It was, I mean, it cracked me up. Anyway, it was total, total dejection. He was like completely, 100%. It caved over, hand in his, head in his hands. Just you could see this man like totally lost. And then, of course, the completely unexpected happens, as often does, for whatever reason. The, the Seattle quarterback did a pass instead of running, and um, New England intercepted it. And so New England won. They cut away to Tom Brady on the sidelines. He's ecstatic. <laughs> he's jumping up and down. He's throwing his arms. like 20, no, not even 20 seconds, two seconds different. Two seconds different. But this is samsara. This <laughs> is how we live our lives. You can see I was a little detached. If it was Wimbledon, I might have had a different response. But I'm detached from football, so I can kind of watch the process. So that's another way of mindfulness. I'm really there, but I'm not all making it about me, you know. That's samsara. That's what we do. Oh, my God, it's so horrible. Oh. Then this is incredible. This is incredible. You know, and then the whole boring rest of his year, right? And so he can you know, be in another Super Bowl. <laughs> what a life. Anyway, this is how we're tossed around. When there's not awareness, we're not recognizing the process but just caught in our reactions to experience. So here, what we really want to cultivate is a moment of that sense of mindfulness. Oh, I'm so dejected. What's happening? Oh my God, the guys are on the... No, dejection feels like this. A feeling dejected. Just noticing how that feels. You'll notice the thoughts. You notice the whole process. So there's a moment of that awareness, the willingness to rest in this uncomfortable situation. But then the perseverance, the steadiness, where we just hang with it and kind of watch whatever arises, all the different processes. And this is where our, the, allows the wisdom to arise. We don't create wisdom, but really seeing, understanding what's going on with these habits. And that they're just habits. It doesn't have to be automatic reaction. A good friend of mine, actually she was just here, she's She's left now, but she's given me permission to use this story before. From doing this style, practicing many years, doing this style of practice. And so where we're just not trying to have a particular experience, but really getting it. We just bring awareness to whatever's going on in the mind and body. But with particular emphasis in watching the mind, the reactions of mind. Is the mind just being with what is? Or is it putting on this overlay of it's bad, I'm in aversion, I can't see clear. It's good, it's what I want more. Just being with it. So 
the example she gave where she, she saw in all her years of practice, practicing in this way had a, a really dramatically noticed it in her daily life. So she was going home to visit her family in another state. And I've known her for many years, and it's always been quite difficult, a difficult you know, family dynamic, probably some of you can relate. And I don't know if you've ever gone to family or whatever, where you go, you get on the plane, and you have a very sincere intention and motivation, right? I'm really going to, <laughs> right, whatever it is. I'm not going to get angry when my sister acts like that. I'm going to walk in with loving kindness to my mother, even when she starts going on about you need a haircut as soon as I cross you know, the threshold or whatever. And we really mean it. We're not just blowing hot air. We really mean it. And you walk in the front door and boom, right? How long does it take? And so then you feel, and she says, so she'd go with these sincere and practicing compassion all the way in the plane, gets in, happens. And then she'd feel defeated, dejected. I couldn't do it. All my practice is a waste of time. Here I am back in the old house. So again, we're reacting to that unpleasant situation from aversion and judging it as wrong. And again, the simplicity of mindfulness isn't there. You know, we've kind of checked out. It's wrong. It's bad. I'll blew it again. I've got to wait until I can fix it. Fixing it, mentality is samsara. So she said this time she was going home, and in the plane as she's going, she had those same thoughts, you know, I want to be with loving kind. But she also just was being aware of what was actually occurring, which there was a lot of anxiety. She was feeling it. She was noticing just being present. Yes, I want to be filled with loving kindness, but at the moment I'm a little apprehensive. That's what's happening. And she just kept on cultivating that steady awareness of her mind and her reactions and what was really honestly occurring. And she said she noticed walking in the door. It wasn't just that her sister was really reactive. She walked in already, you know, with like barriers in front of her, ready to react to the, the expected insult. So that actually she was walking in with a negativity before anything had even happened, which she had never noticed before. She was trying so hard to be good, trying so hard to do the right thing. But by actually just being aware of what was really occurring, she said it was the best visit she ever had. Because the honesty of mindfulness lets us see what's occurring. You see your own reactivity coming up to the expected insult. You notice the reactivity, and that becomes the next object of awareness. You don't have to automatically act out of it. And because we're meeting that reactivity in our own heart and mind with this, this simplicity, this friendly attention, not with judging, oh, reactivity, of course. It's understandable how it would be there. In that moment, that's, I like to call it, it's, it's a stretch, but just to give a sense, it's, that's like a stepping out of the samsara. Instead of just spinning in reacti- reactivity and judging or pretending I'm not reactive and just blaming them, to see the reactivity, to meet it with, interested awareness, in that moment, we've moved from taking refuge, so to speak, in our normal habits and the automatic reactions. We're taking refuge just in the simplicity of awareness right then. Not trying to fix, you're not trying to change, you're not trying to evaluate. Oh, self-negativity or reactivity feels like this. And in that space of awareness, that's changing the pattern right there. That's shifting the whole dynamic. Sure, it can come back again. 
and we notice it again. But this, this awareness is really, it's shifting our refuge, it's shifting our habit, it's really making a whole other way of responding possible, accessible. And it's not like you plan it out. When she's at ease with recognizing her own reactivity, then when the sister does say something, she already sees it and she can kind of, you know, like someone said today, pain in the knee, but saw the aversion in the mind, recognizing the aversion. There's a kind of a space. We weren't caught in the reactivity. Same thing happens in our life. Sister says things, she goes, oh yeah, that's really unpleasant. I'm, I'm with the unpleasantness. Don't have to respond out of it. So this is really, it's quite profound. It may not seem like very much, you know, on a retreat when you're sitting or walking. We're so used to reacting to experience. We're so used to being entranced by our reactions that it feels more easy and comfortable, you know. That's one of the reasons we do kind of take away a lot of our normal activities on retreats so we can, can really watch what's happening but like it's so easy to say this knee pain, this sound, this fear, this defines me, this is what's going on and get into our normal habit. But here, just remember the simplicity of awareness. Okay, knee pain feels like this. Anger feels like this. I have a moment of really, really, really wanting to go have a cup of tea. And wanting's uncomfortable. Wanting's unpleasant. And it feels totally normal and natural when we want something to go and get that thing. And there's nothing wrong with having a cup of tea. You think, you know, this is really like sick. You know, I want a cup of tea. I should sit here and feel wanting rather than go have a cup of tea. What kind of, you know, stuff is this? And I'm not saying you should. There's no should. But sometimes we might get interested. What does wanting feel like? It feels totally normal and natural to move away from wanting and get the thing we want. It feels totally normal and natural when something's uncomfortable to do something to get away from it, to fix it. We've practiced this our whole life. And it's not that that's a bad thing, but if we bring in awareness and start to see the whole process, there's times when we'll say, you know what, let me just sit down and explore being with wanting. Can I find in myself for this moment a willingness to rest in this uncomfortable, painful situation? Wanting is uncomfortable. So just resting there with that awareness, that interested friendliness, and see what happens. And maybe sometimes the wanting, I mean, it will. You're actually just hanging with it. It goes away. The steadiness, the perseverance, the continuity of awareness, keep with it. The, the, the wanting is gone. Often then we stop paying attention because now it's calm again. You know, we pay attention when it's really bad, when we're really suffering, when it's really high, when it's these neutral times. Okay, it's gone. Did the job. Now I'll go have tea. So, notice when the wanting stops. And it's just calm. It's just peaceful. Keep on being steady with the awareness. We can begin to recognize and actually cultivate an appreciation. This is actually an intimation of the quality of freedom of heart-mind the Buddha's talking about. Not the experience is good or bad, but just that ability to be present without so much fuss, without so much identification, without making it all about me. I think Steve used the phrase last night about, you know, everything's natural, it's just nature. I mean, we're nature. 
I think it's funny we talk about nature as somehow that's nature, as if we're not nature. But when we start to see part of right view, that whatever's occurring, the wanting, the habits of mind, my friend going to visit her family, those habits that came up aren't a sign that she's some kind of a, a, a bad, twisted person. You know, they've arisen through natural causes. When we can see that, it's really helpful. Ajahn Buddhadasa was a very, um, a Thai, he was a Thai forest monk and scholar, very, very famous in Thailand in the last century, died like the late 1990s. And um, he's a very interesting guy. And in one of his books, he was talking about, his book, the book in Mindfulness with Breathing, but he was talking about how recognizing that all arising experience is nature. All arising experience. He says, by that he means, it's not my personal doing. Everything is arising due to causes and conditions that have come before, really an endless stream, such that in this moment, this particular moment could not be otherwise. It could not be otherwise. When, When Steve talked about those things as they have come to be in this moment, we can't track all the causes and conditions, but we can see some of them. And this is like a sense that it's nature. It's not something to be in con- contention with. It just, when we see the causes, it really lets us stop taking it so personally. Buddhadasa said, we have been thieves all of our lives by appropriating the things of nature as I and mine. So he says, the Pali, Pali is the language that the Buddhist texts were first written down in. He says, the Pali texts use the phrase, which was translated into English as throwing back. He says, so when, in a moment when the mind, the heart is free, when we're not appropriating something as I or mine, we throw everything back to nature. We stop saying it belongs to me. And we can really see how these patterns of mind and reactivity and heart get created through a series of conditions. Example, like in the body. The other day I went to a physical therapist. I was having some kind of weird pains in my back and here and there. I mean, there's always something going on. But anyway, I went to see her, the physical therapist, and it was unusual. And she's, she, first it was kind of like right view, like when Steve said the voice of another. She could just kind of look and she goes, whoa, I never saw you like this. And this is like your, 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 your rib is out and it's connected up to your collarbone and the shoulder bone is out and it goes all the way down to your, your left hip and your sacrum. And then she's saying all this stuff, you know, like, oh, okay, all the way down to your foot and your elbow. And, you know, and so <laughs> she's okay, I just knew it hurt, you know. So she could see all these connections. And she said, then, but I, nothing had happened. I hadn't fallen or done anything unusual. So we just got interested in saying how it could happen. And she said, well, I remembered that the last week I had been in a place for a few days where I was walking each day about a mile back and forth from a parking lot to a place several times a day, carrying a bag, not particularly heavy, but carrying it and walking fast. And she noticed that. So you, your, your, your body already has this habit of being a bit, you know, curved in like that. So you're walking, carrying something like this. And when you're in a hurry, you kind of hunch and walk fast. And over time, that becomes an ingrained kind of pattern in the body. And then she could link all of these things she saw up to that way of moving and holding. I thought, that's really interesting, 
you know. So when I could see the pattern like that and trace it, I said, okay, I can understand that, how that could happen. It doesn't make the pattern go away, but it kind of takes it out of the realm of what am I doing? Am I so hopeless? Am I falling apart? You know, just go, oh yeah, look at that. Cause and effect. It's a natural effect. And then you can work with it. Same with the habits in our mind. So Buddha Dasa says, we realize, okay, here's this pattern of mind. It's not mine. It's arising due to natural causes and conditions and throw it back to nature. Quit taking it all so personally. And then that really lets us just look at it. Like I could look at this pattern of stuff in my body she was pointing at and go, oh, that's interesting. And then today I was just taking a walk and I was thinking, well, I'm not holding anything, but I could see how the tendency was to start going like that because I was a little cold. And I just then I just noticed it, having had it pointed out to me, without getting in and, oh my God, it's hopeless, oh, I'm going to be like this the rest of my life. Just, oh yeah, look at that. And just naturally stood up a little bit straighter and could feel the difference. Yes, it's just, just these simple little things. It's not, oh, everything's changed and better. But this is what starts to feed our trust in the steadiness of awareness, the willingness to look, the trusting of being able to see with steady sati, steady mindfulness, steady awareness. The gradually, gradually, our refuge changes from just falling into these unconscious habits of reactivity, of liking, of disliking, aversion, and clinging, and self-blame, and owning everything as mine, to really... I mean, this might be a little far, but it feels like it to me. A real love of awareness. A real love of this, this, this willingness to be simply present with this experience. And when I notice I'm in a pattern and spinning and confused and what's happening and I'm suffering and I suddenly, what's happening now? I said this in a group, oh, big ball of confusion. Feels like this. And I just feel a lot of, I couldn't name anything. The body feels like a bunch of gunk. The mind feels even more like a bunch of gunk. And I'm just present with that. There's a sense almost of relief that I feel of not being in contention in that moment with experience. And then recognize, oh yeah, there's awareness of bunch of gunk. Bunch of gunk and awareness of it. And with the awareness, that's really what we can trust. Bunch of gunk's gonna go, something incredibly beautiful's gonna come, it's gonna go, a lot of boring stuff's gonna come, bunch of gunk's gonna come back. Awareness, awareness, awareness can start to be where we really take our refuge. And it really becomes powerful. And so the little examples we can go through in our, in our practice here, like the one I gave about sitting and watching, wanting instead of having a cup of tea, you may think, so what? Big whoop. But these, as I gave the example of my friend, when we don't recognize what's going on in our mind and heart, what the habits are, what are the reactions. When we're lost in the assumptions, in the preconceptions, in the distortions, we're not just present with what is. That is so familiar and comfortable that we don't know when it can take over in big things in our daily life. You know, the unrecognized, the habits drive the bus. And we don't know that that's what's happening. And in a moment of stress, in a moment of, you know, difficulty, when we're not quite aware, that's what pops up. And so these little examples here, there's a million every day, 
don't think, well, this isn't important enough or whatever. What we're cultivating is this willingness to keep coming back into the awareness, the awareness, the awareness, because we never know otherwise. I heard on the radio a couple of years ago that I came in the middle, so I don't know if I have names, but they were interviewing two men who've been working with young men in prisons, kind of um, working with uh, anti-violence, young men who were in prison for violent crimes. You know, and so I, I didn't really get how they were working with him, but they, he was describing one young man that he'd been talking to, and the young man was saying, uh, he was in, in, in prison for, I don't know, I didn't hear if it was life or how long, for some act of violence. And he said, if only I could have back those three to five seconds when I acted in that violent way. You know, we never know. That's all it can take. We just aren't present. We're not aware. The habits drive the bus. And, you know, we all, well, maybe you don't, but everyone I know have plenty of times that I've acted in ways I regret. It doesn't have to be that much violence, but how much stuff has come out of my mouth that I wish I hadn't said. I don't want to have to start counting, you know. Just in the moments when there's not awareness... The habits drive the bus. So when we start being aware, that awareness doesn't end the habits. Awareness alone is not enough. You may wonder what he meant by that. Awareness doesn't mean the, the difficult habits, the reactions of mind go away. But like my friend, you start to see them rather than believing them. We don't even know they're there in the beginning. We start to see them. And then there's more space and more space. And the wisdom comes in and starts to say something. No, I don't need to say that. It really shifts the whole show. And so I just want to end with um, a thing from Deepa Ma. Deepa Ma was, um, she's an amazing little lady, Indian Bengali lady, who she's always, she's often people talk about her. She really had very profound practice and understanding, a lot, a lot of metta, loving kindness in her heart, very, very deep wisdom. She's about four feet tall, tiniest little lady, and very energetic and strong. You know, metta doesn't mean, oh, la, 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 everything's nice. She was really strong. Like Joseph and I and some friends, we were visiting her in Bodh Gaya the year before she died in India. And uh, Joseph had a very long, deep connection with her. And so she's saying to him, you should sit for a weekend. And he's like, yeah, okay, well, I'll sit for a week. And she says, no, no, I mean sit down for a weekend. <laughs> sit and don't get up. <laughs> that's, what she, that's what she meant. She was, you know, filled with metta, but a tough cookie. And Joseph, being Joseph, just starts laughing, you know. He doesn't get free. Oh, ha, ha, ha. She goes, don't be lazy. Just so simple, don't be lazy. She could do that. She could sit down for a weekend. So that's, she was like that. Anyway, this is from her. There is so much sameness in our ordinary life. We experience everything through the same set of lenses, the lenses of greed, the lenses of aversion or hatred, the lenses of delusion, confusion, identification. But when greed, hatred, and delusion are not present, you see everything fresh and new all the time. Every moment is new. Life was dull before. Now, every day, 
every moment is full of taste and zest. And she was just living a life in a really poor little apartment in Calcutta. Every moment is new. That's really the simplicity and honesty of mindfulness. So thank you for your kind attention. Let's just sit for a moment. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.